and then so welcome to the uh, unstoppable sales confidence course or it's a you know how to be confident in getting your ideas across that's the reframe i use right because you know we'll be talking about you know why do people resist becoming salespeople? you know it's always a lot of people's biggest fear i know companies it's usually one of the harder positions to fill, right? Why a lot of companies that, you know, uh, that's your entry level into the companies. You have to go through the sales process, right? Um, and so, so what stops us from doing that? That would be the question. Well, you know, and, and I celebrate anybody who takes these kind of classes. I take classes, do research like a lot of people. And, you know, because you guys all do what, what, what is called pathway thinking, in case you want to know, right? Pathway thinking, right? Or at least it's a, I forget where I heard it, but what pathway thinking is, if you have a, you know, it sounds like Tony Robbins, he, he reframed it, but it's basically, um, if you have a strong enough why, you will find a how, right? But most people reverse that process, correct? And they're trying to find the how to do something, right? And so they won't, their, their why, if you really want to do something, I know we've all experienced that, correct? You've experienced it, I've, I've experienced it, we've had that. If you really want to do something, and that is your why, whatever your why is to do it, you will find a way to do it. We've all had that kind of experience. And I think when it's really strong, those of us that lean toward open-minded thinking, if, you're, if your why is strong enough, it actually opens up those magical moments that we get, the coincidences that pop into your life, mainly because you're looking at what you want to do, not how you have to do it, right? We get stuck in, you know, I have to do it this way, I have to do it that way. Uh, and so I celebrate everybody that has a strong why, because you'll find a lot of different hows on how to get there. But let's start with, you know, what stops people from uh, from this, you know, from uh, getting that deep confidence in, in sales, right? What, what stops it, right? Well, of course, you know, those of us in this world, we always talk about limiting beliefs, you know, your LB, your limiting beliefs. And they'll stop you from doing it, right? And your limiting belief, if it's strong enough, it'll stop your why. Because then when you start getting exposure to different how to do things, whatever the how is, you'll, your limiting belief will pick it apart, right? But what are some of these general, these are for sales at first, and then we'll throw in, tie it into general limiting beliefs, right? What stops people, excuse me, um, from excelling in sales or persuasion? I'm going to ask that we begin to flip the idea of what we're learning here. It's just the next level of persuasion, right? Because it, it's all about persuasion. And, you know, if you're a coach or a therapist, a parent, um, a teacher, you're always trying to persuade the people you're dealing with to follow your ideas, to do what you're suggesting, whatever it happens to be. So if you want to become a good persuader, right, which will also usually help you become a better salesperson, you know, one of the big things people will say is, you know, I just don't have the right personality. 
right? I don't have the right personality. I'm not, it's not natural to me, right? Right? Now, you know, and a lot of this goes, part of it's been fed by, you know, uh, some of the media and some of the people, I always think of Zig Ziglar, I was born a salesman, right? You know, and it's like, well, are, are you born a salesman, right? And I think what happens here, if this is you, we're gonna come back and look at these, but if you have a little bit of this, you might be confusing being outgoing and very personable with being a salesman. I know Reed does sales, other people here have done a lot of sales. Some of the best salesmen aren't very outgoing or personable. They're good at what they do, right? But, you know, and some of the people that are most outgoing and personable aren't good salespeople, right? And that, that ties into, you know, what goes on with it, right? But maybe that's it. I, people think that, right? Uh, the second big one in sales, I think, is people are afraid of rejection, right? I just can't spell today, right? We're, we're afraid of rejection. So, you know, you're going to be, you got to get some, you know, can you handle the no, right? Um, so we have that fear of it, but what, you know, and, and we can look, we're going to go back and look at where these come from and what we can do to overcome them, you know, um, and what do people that get good at this have a tendency to do, you know? Um, yeah, uh, another big one is, and this goes over to general uh, limiting beliefs, I'm not good enough. You know, I'm not good enough, right? It's kind of interesting when we think about that one. That's a good one to look at first. It's like people think I'm not good enough uh, to be a salesperson, right? But when you look at really good salespeople, they can they sell what the concept or or the product or the service, whatever they're selling, doesn't necessarily mean they're good at it themselves, right? I mean. I always think of car salesmen, which is everybody's big fear. They don't want to appear like a car salesman, right? But a good car salesman, you know, doesn't, he, he doesn't have to think he's a mechanic. You know, use the analogy of um, the best, you know, the best race car drivers might not be good at turning a wrench, right? They're good at what they do, but we begin to think I'm just not good enough, especially in the professional realm of selling services, especially if it's your own services, coaching, hypnosis, uh, uh, whatever kind of personality building, skill building stuff, you begin to think you're not good enough at, at what the skill is before you could sell it. I see this a lot with people that go through a hypnosis, NLP or coaching course, right? That they're constantly, you know, chasing, you know, the next credential, you know, like a credential uh, um, or some kind, because they think they're not good enough to go and just sell their service, right? And this is kind of interesting, and I stress it for the group that sells, especially services, 
like hypnosis and coaching and thing and NLP stuff like that is if you get stuck here, it begins to counter flow back into everything because then you begin to, you know, is it that you're not good enough or is it that what you're offering isn't good enough? Right? So then you'll begin to pick apart like, well, I need one more class to fill this in. Right? I need one more thing to fill this in. Right? Um, and then again, I'll, I, I use, you know, our dear friend Tony Robbins a lot. Right? He took a basic NLP class. Not that he hasn't studied since then. You know, but he, um, I remember, I, I think it was Robert Dilt said, you know, when when he was being trained, before the class was over, he was actually doing the stuff he was being taught in the class because he also worked for Jim Rohn, so he was out like, doing it with seminars, right? Where most of the people in the class were so afraid they were going to get something wrong, they were going to wait to the next class or the next class, you know, and, you know, here's Tony out there doing the thing within a year of finishing the class. He wrote the... Was it Unlimited Power was his first book, right? And which is basically, those of you who's ever taken an NLP course, it's the old basic NLP course with a few stories thrown. It's a good book, but it's a basic NLP course with some stories and some examples, right? Thrown in there, right? So, but we begin to think we're not good enough, right? And again, you need to separate out, is it you or is it, the what you're doing, what you're selling, right? Do you really believe in it? The other time it begins to impact us as coaches and, and personal change agents is when you begin to doubt the technology, right? You, you begin to doubt the hypnosis, the NLP. You kind of get, I don't want to say skeptical, I would say cynical, right? And it could come from, you, maybe you got some issues in your own life. You put, you know, you, you went to a hypnotist, let's say to lose weight or stop smoking, and it worked. So you learned hypnosis and or whatever you learned it, you're good at it, you're helping other people stop smoking, lose weight, all that good stuff. And now a few years later, maybe decades, some of those old habits have creeped back in. Maybe you're smoking every once in a while, maybe you put on a couple pounds, maybe you're doing the old behaviors. And so then you go, hmm, you know, you start doubting the technology, right? And then you know, you'll either you know, and it'll cause you to double clutch and not want to do what you're doing, you know, and, and that. And then again, you know, intellectually, we understand this is that disconnect that we get into. Intellectually, we understand, you know, you don't have to be the best living example of what you're doing, right, to be successful at it, right? Um, I mean, I don't think anyone here, if you were having... And I don't think Reed did it for his foot, but if you were, if you had to go see a heart surgeon about something, you're going to say, so doc, how many heart surgeries have you had? You know, it's, it's irrelevant. You know, I know Mr. Reed didn't ask. He has some, you know, he's seen a couple of podiatrists, I think. Right. And yeah, it's like, they don't have to experience it themselves to be good at fixing it. Right? And yet we get stuck in this in ourselves, right? Uh, so it's just, and we're not alone in that, right? And it, that can lead the easy, if it stays here long enough, if you start worried about it, you will leave the profession. 
you'll burn out, right? Also, another big one is, um, you know, it kind of goes with another basic one, which is people, you know, I'm selfish or it's greedy of me to do this, right? I'm selfish or it's greedy, right? You know, to ask for more, to want more, to, to whatever it is, right? And um, and again, this comes from a lot of a lot of these beliefs all come from the same place in a roundabout sort of way, right? And part of that could be you begin to think that, you know, especially if it's a service, you think that people will never pay for what you do. Or pay top dollar sometimes. And some of these I fall into, I'll admit it. You know, it's easy to get into the, what do they call it? The, the, discount, the discount hoedown. You keep wanting to, you know, it's the Walmart effect. You keep, it's the race to the bottom. Um, the internet speeds that up because we, you know, click on the Facebook. There's guys offering full NLP programs for $7, right? So if you really buy into that, you start thinking, well, nobody will pay top dollar for, for something, right? Um, and so, you know, if you have this, if this is a belief running underneath everything else, it's really going to feed into the fact that you're going to feel selfish if you ask for more, or are you good enough to ask for more? You know, what will happen if you get the rejection? No, I'm not paying that. Okay, well, fine. Uh, you know, and maybe, I don't know if anybody on this uh, today has had the experience of working with someone or talking to somebody and offering them something and they uh, they won't they decide not to buy right they decide not to sign up because they say it's too expensive and you're like okay fine right and let's say you held the line so you didn't discount so you think you have to discount but if you don't discount and you know they say no and you're like fine and then you run into them a little bit later and you find out the same person that told you they couldn't afford your thousand dollar self-help program went to a five thousand dollar event somewhere right if you've ever had that experience right i've had it several times it's fun right and then they call me they might call you back up wanting you to help explain whatever they learned at this seminar right because this, the seminar guy was a good marketer he was a good sale or lady he was a good marketer good salesman Maybe they didn't get the information that they needed, right? So the people are willing to pay top dollar, right? But again, if your beliefs kind of, you don't think you have the right personality, you're going you're gonna to reject it, you're going to have um, some issues with it, right? You know, and so you begin to think that, right? And a lot of this goes to the general, these, these are kind of general ones too, not just for sales, but for everything, which is, um, you know, the other big one is, um, how do I want to word it to fit with what we're doing? That you know, I'm not smart enough. 
right? Now I'm going to talk about one in a moment that, that I'm guilty of, I think we can all be guilty of, but first, you know, this I'm not smart enough, kind of all of these begin to link together, right? And again, a lot of these could come from, you know, unfortunately the media, just in general, you know, how many times you see a movie or a TV show or something, they always, they, they have a tendency to, excuse me, portray the salesperson sometimes as like the sleazy, you know, used car salesman kind of, kind of attitude. Other day I was flipping through TV, there's nothing on, and an old movie was on True Lies with Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? If you've ever seen it, but there's a scene in there where a sleazy used car salesman, you know, is, is, uh, using his sleazy skills to uh, pick up, you know, Arnold's wife, you know, it's kind of, but it's that, it's that attitude that we can get into, right? That somehow it's sleazy, you know, and, and, um, you know, not smart enough. I would, I'll just pay, I'll call it sleazy. You could call it tacky, you know, um, you know, beneath you, right? And so it's fun when I teach this with people, you know, that like, especially hypnotists and LPs that have had some training because we should be better at it, but we fall into the same, same, same issues that everyone else does. So I would like to get some feedback. Let me turn the... Right. So does anybody have, will share, because this is this is going, don't forget, this is being recorded and it's going up into the thing. But do you, have you experienced any of these? You know, you don't think you're the right personality. People never pay. You're afraid of rejection. Um, you know, you're greedy if you ask for it. You feel selfish, or just generally not good enough. Does anybody? Mr. Reed. All of them. <laughs> Plus, as I learn these amazing tools, I get so wound up that I'm going to get caught using them that I basically, you know, as the saying goes, I pee all over myself the first chance that I get when, and stop trying to use them. So, you know, you get in there and you're like, it's throwing a language pattern. I mean, if, if you don't try, you'll never get it down. And, and who knows, you might make a sale whereas, you know, you wouldn't have. You know, and you, you start up, and, and I, I try this at the, at the gym with somebody, and I start off with the more, the more, and, um, you know, notice and realize, and they, they were all about it, and then I started overthinking it, and yeah, that plane went and created a smoking hole in the desert. Okay. All right. Anybody? Miss Michelle. Well, unmute, unmute. Yes, I have, and I do, you know, and I have to just get over it. I had a client um, yesterday in the morning, and I, I woke up excited, and then I decided, like, read. I was overthinking, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. And I even gave her 
a discount. I thought, oh my gosh, it's just, it's still too much. I feel so bad. You know, I feel bad, you know, but yet, you know, we did the session. It was, it went way long because she had other things happening. And this is what she said. I'm going to send you extra money because, and I was like, oh. I was grateful, but I was like, um, why didn't you pay me the amount anyway? <laughs> so it was, we have to believe in ourselves or else we're cutting off our nose despite our face. Because we well, do have something valuable to offer. Yeah, but do we get in our own way? Do you get oh, in your yeah. own way? My thoughts got in my own way. And Believing that no one wants to pay the money to me. My thoughts get in my own way with money. And yet we, everybody on this call, and if not you, you know of people that have dropped mega bucks to go to seminars. And have like, and being, a, and, and I respect what I'm going to say next, but, and be in a room with 4,000 people. Right. And yet we would be afraid to ask for that kind of money for one on one. You know, as good as this person is up on that podium or in their marketing team, you're in a room of several thousand. I've been in that room, right? In a couple of those rooms. And it was fun, but there was no customization. There couldn't be. Right. But still, you get that glitch in your head. It's like, you know, this makes sense to everybody. Yes. All right. So let me pin my video again. Oh, Miss Deborah, I didn't know if you wanted to share. Please share. Yeah. I mean, I had a few thoughts about this. You know, I, I go through all of these, like every, like most of us here or several of us here, maybe. Um, uh, but I also, when you were talking about like some limiting beliefs, I get into like fear of being criticized by my colleagues you know that that runs through my mind like i'm offering this but like eh, i don't know these people are all better than at it than me so i guess that's one of those things but specifically feeling fear of like the colleagues saying oh boy she sucks <laughs> what is she doing out there i won't you know? let it happen um and uh <laughs> yeah to but you then in terms way. of the money thing i mean you know maybe it's just because i'm getting older you know i'm gonna be 69 next week and um and, you know, and I, and I live in sort of a rural area, which is very depressed area of the, the most depressed area of Massachusetts. And, um, and so well, Massachusetts itself is kind of depressed. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I was coming. Speaking as a Floridian. <laughs> I know. I know. I'd move to Florida if there weren't so many, you know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Cockroaches, so to speak. Yes. <laughs> But, you know, I just feel like, you know, a lot of seminars uh, on on building sales confidence sort of make that jump immediately into like, oh, you got to like raise your prices and this, like there's this big focus on high price ticket things. And I'm like, you know, I feel very comfortable with either, you know, I'd like to offer some higher priced things and I think I'd feel comfortable. You know, I believe I, I feel comfortable with that, but I like, I really enjoy, you know, having good quality uh, instructors like yourself offer, you know, it's like, I like 
this offering things for, you know, very little money, you know, so to speak. I mean, where I live, I mean, it could be, you know, even $27 could be, you know, the difference between someone being able to meet rent or something, you know, but, um, but still, I just feel comfortable offering a lower price thing. I just want to reach more people, you know, because I just, I feel like my value for me is what I have to share. And, um, you know, so that could be just like a, you know, a, a small group for a high price, or I could make it low price and get more people and spread the love, you know, and the knowledge. And yeah. um, then you have to start doing social media. Well, I know. And sell, sell, I, sell, sell. I know. And Michelle, I want to give kudos to Michelle. She is becoming like, wow, <laughs> the, no, the I, rock star on, no. on Facebook. I don't do Instagrams so, or any of the other things, but you well, know, you certainly have... on Facebook, she is the star. I mean, everything mm -hmm. you do is just so bright and exciting. So thank you. That's because. How about Miss Carla? Oh. You have the... some of these. Oh, go ahead. And, and one more thing that I, I feel, I mean, you didn't cover this, but, um, you know, sometimes I just think about, I'm looking for people like myself who just want to get down and dirty with it. You know, it's like, I it drives me crazy when I see ads that go like on and on and on and on, or God forbid they have the video that like, there's no transcript. You just have to go on and on and on and on for an hour before they make their non-point with a link for a product or something. It's like, I hate that. And I figure there's got to be people like me that just, you know, I'm thinking, how can I make my words? So like, you know, are you like me? You just want to get down and dirty with what the heck the offer is, you know? <laughs> and that's perfect. Say that. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. How about Miss Carla? Do you have some of these? We all have those kind of clients and that's you, you just have to get used to it that's how they are right okay cool right. but i think it's a matter of priority because somebody was uh, mentioning that they, they will say that they don't have that kind of money and then go buy a 600 dollars purse well that makes them feel good they don't know if what you do is going to make them feel good and also, it doesn't show anywhere. The purse is on their arm. What you do isn't shown to anybody. I call them uh, <laughs> uh, status symbols. That's interesting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, oh, yeah. what if, what if part of your point. product was specifically designed to make them feel good? I mean, the, the quickest way to make people feel good is what? To feel heard. Well, but, yeah, but it's, that's a good talk. That's a good, yeah. People want that because we see it in our own field. You know, people, I can't afford to go to the conference, whatever conference, yeah. right? I'm going to date with destiny with Tony Robbins, which the cheap seats are $5,000. So it's like, but then they can brag they were there. Yes. I know, I know a lot of people in our field that brag that, oh, I go to all of them. I go, well, that's good. You must, you know, I'm thinking you must be doing really good. No, I, what do you call I volunteered to whatever they, Tony's volunteers are. And they go, oh, why yeah. don't you volunteer? I go, because I'm not an idiot. 
you know, but that's, you know, but it, it resonates with certain people, you know, um, So one of the things I've started to do is, and I'm, I got to start pushing it again. And I'm a lot of these things, and I don't care if it was on there. Uh, 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 for our little world, the coaching world, you know, is um, just I'm starting to point out the fact I've trained an awful lot of the people in the in these big organizations because they got in the organizations and realized they didn't have skill sets. Right. And so then it's kind of fun. So anyway, so let's look at and then here's the big here's a big one. I'm going to click my thing and then we're going to do something. Um, and let me end the pin again. And then we're going to do a technique to help with this. Right. But I think the one we're going to get to later, here's the big one for what we do, which is and, and, and Mr. Reed mentioned it. It's like. You have the skill, you have a skill set, I would say, and I'm being generous, maybe, and this is even in the hypnosis and the NLP world, that 2% of the people know what the hell they're doing. They don't really understand how to use the NLP and the hypnosis and this and that. They've taken the classes, they don't do anything, right? So you have this skill set, but you don't use it, right? It's like, it goes back to that, it, am I being sleazy, underhanded? You know, or the big fear is I'm going to get caught, right? People have that fear I'm going to get caught, right? And again, but I'm going to have, we're going to come back to this one. I just wanted to put it out there. But let me start with a little chipper in your brain. Start thinking about would it be unethical, do you think, for a surgeon? To go, you know, I'm not going to use any of this micro technology or any of these, all this other stuff that we have today. I want to learn. I'm going to use the good old stuff they had in the 50s. You know, like instead of a micro heart surgery, they're going to lay you out. You ever used to see those from here down to there and do No, no, we're good. No, you would want them to use the latest, most powerful technology. You know, I use the example of, because I'm a military guy, it's like, would it be, is it, is it sleazy or underhanded that the U.S. military goes in with overwhelming techn technological superiority? You know, should they have gotten out of the helicopters and the, and the B-52s and gotten on horses and went, you know, mano to mano with the, uh, with, yeah, you'd probably say that, that probably wouldn't, that doesn't make any sense, right? And yet we have that thinking in our head. Right. So we're going to come back to that one because that's one of my favorites. Um, because, again, I and I'm guilty of all of these. But where do these come from? Right. Not this one. Right. But, you know, um, let me tell you a story. Right. That reminds me of a story. You know, there's there's some thought. That. Yes, I actually do research for these things. Got to get my notes out so you can, you can. This is one of the things you're that that happens in our heads is we're constantly afraid of rejection, right? And and one of the people mentioned like maybe rejection from our peers, but I would postulate, if you will, hypothesize that one of the things going on in your head 
is you're afraid of the rejection from the people in your past, right? Like family, going back to, especially when you were really in those formative years, first as a little kid, and then the second most formative when you were an adolescent. You know, when think about adolescence, you were terrified to be judged by, you know, the high school people, you know, and all that, right? So if that's running and you're learning all these really cool things and you want to change, so you get this vision of you that you want to be, right? Which isn't who you are today, right? If you want to vision yourself as I'll just be a kick-ass persuader, not, not necessarily salesperson, I'll be a kick-ass persuader. And as you're moving toward it, two things happen. A, you can't, you, because you've already had this happen. It, if you could think back, say a decade ago, is it hard for you to think that like who you are now from where you were 10 years ago? Did you think you would be where you are now 10 years ago, right? Probably not, not and, and not just, you know, status of life, but the way you think, the way, part of it's the maturity. So who you are right now, as you look to that future, you realize it's gonna be a process that, you know, as you move toward it, it's gonna change, you know? You're gonna you're gonna be open to change. Things are gonna happen, right? But that that future move that as you're moving toward that future you, whatever that goal is, you have that fear of I'm gonna be judged by the people in my path, even if they're really no longer in your in your life, right? Parents may be passed on, or or you're not where you used to be. You know, if you're one of the people like I know some people that still live in the town they I grew up in. Because I see him posting on Facebook. And, but it's like, you're, you're, you know, maybe you're afraid you're going to be confronted somewhere, right? Who do you think you are? And all that kind of stuff, right? It's just what happens with us, right? And so, so it's hard for you to begin to, to, to get comfortable with that. And that's where those fears that we listed, you know, all those fears, you know, part of that goes back to that, you know, what are these people going to think of me if I become a, a really good mark, not just marketer, but persuader, sell your ideas, you know, whether it's your services, whether it's your products, what, whatever it is that you're doing, you know, and, and yeah, and that will spill forward to, you know, if you're in a certain group now that maybe like was said, like maybe what, what will my peers think of me, right? I see this a lot in, in the academic world, but it, yet at the same time, most of us, especially the people I deal with, you, how much interaction do you have with these people? You know, I, there's a lot of people you know, I was talking to somebody and they were saying something about a conference coming up. Not, well, there's a conference in the future. So, well, you know, there's all these people and you really like them. And I'm like, I really don't even know them. You know, I see them for two, three days a year, maybe, you know, that's it. I don't know. And then it's like, you're not, you know, they're not like the people I see every day. And yet, oh, they're, it's like, so, and that's where I started thinking about this. Why would I care what they think? Now that's an intellectual thing, right? That there's that's the intellectual thing, right? So again, so when you look at these these basic fears, 
obviously they come from either i would postulate and i i don't i don't know if it's true seems to work from when you were a little kid and you were developing what were your parents and um authority figures impact figures around you what were their thoughts about people that are good persuaders and speakers and salespeople, right? What was their attitude, right? So when you were a little kid, before you had filters, right, that that stuff gets dumped into your head. You know, that maybe it's, you know, it takes a certain personality. Oh, they're just, you know, whatever, right? Um, uh, you know, and that also spills back into even just general success, right? If you, you know, if you're making these changes, right? Especially if you come from a middle middle class, lower middle class background, where you know, did the people around you in that background have a certain view of the people at the higher middle, upper upper middle class, or the rich have? Right. I think that's, and all the research does point out, it's like if you come from an upper crust family, you're probably you're, you're much more likely to be successful. Even if you could equalize out that, you know, contacts and stuff, because there's no there's no judgment about it. That makes sense, everybody. It's just that that's what's normal, you know. And so when they because that's where if you have this fear or this this self-limiting belief and you break up to the next level, maybe you'll self-sabotage because, again, what would my dad say? What would my mom say? My uncle, you know, the. Things like that. So it's either from youth when you were being formed or when you were an adolescent, right? And you were really forming your personality. And again, some of the same things. Again, it's continuum. You got to think about the kind of educational system you were in. Was the high school encouraging of it or, you know, unencouraging, right? Um, and so, and I guess I'm being judgmental, but try not to be. It's just that like, so this stuff gets in and if it, you know, if you had these beliefs, you know, you're kind of inheriting from your parents, the authority figures, people around you, right? And then you get into high school and then you will self-select to reinforce those things, you know? And then that, then it becomes even deeper. So, so we have these things, and then those beliefs kind of get settled in, right? And again, who, you know, what, who or when, I guess I should say, in your past are those people that you're afraid are going to judge you? And a lot of that goes back to that, the reason we have this big fear and this judgment has to do with rejection, you know? Because again, I always point out rejection is built into your DNA. Fear of rejection. Because if you get thrown, you know, if this was 10,000 years ago, you got thrown out of the tribe. If the elder said, screw you, you're out, you probably died within 48 hours, right? A bear would kill you. It's just, you didn't survive long on your own, right? Or if you get thrown out of the family, disenfranchised. Um, so the rejection's in there. So if it was, you know, if that rejection got developed when you were real little, like, I don't want whoever it happens to be to reject me, you know, even if they're no longer in your life to reject you. That's the interesting part, right? 
So it becomes, because it's still in your head. Again, your brain doesn't, your mind doesn't know the difference between a real or a vividly imagined event. So you could, you know, that's still in there, you know? You know, and every once in a while, you know, it'll be reinforced, right? You know, there was a movie, I forget what it was. I don't know what it was. It was on, when I was walking by, I think, maybe it was a Hallmark, but it had a good moment in it, right? Christina's watching it. No, it wasn't a Hallmark because the next line would not be in a Hallmark movie. <laughs> but it was like the 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 mother was saying, what would your father think of that if he were still here? And the person went, um, I don't know. Something like, I don't know. I don't care. Dad was kind of a loser. Right? Of course, then the brouhaha, maybe it was Hallmark and all this other stuff happened, but it was like, Oh, right. But so there was like, you know, there's a, there's a, it was a guy, he's like 30s, the typical Hallmark movie, right? He's in his 30s. His dad's been gone for, you know, a decade, but his mom wants to reinforce, you know, whatever that mentality is, right? I think it was because he wanted to move away from, oh, he didn't want to take over the family business. That's what, you know, the typical Hallmark, right? You know, where you're, you're, you know, Plus, you know, one thing I love about Hallmark is the disconnect I found. I've yet to find too many Christmas tree farms. And yet when you watch Hallmark movies, it seems like there must be millions of Christmas Christmas tree because everybody's running a Christmas tree farm. Makes a good movie. Anyway, so where does this rejection come from? Right? And can and this to do this as this tough thing. That is hard for us to do. Can you honest? Can you get? Can you get honesty about it? Right. Right. That maybe they were wrong. Right. In fact, you know they were wrong, but you could soften it at the first level. Like maybe they were wrong. Right. And so, but that takes some honesty, and to realize that this stuff got installed. You know, when you were a blank slate. You know, it's like buying a new computer, and unfortunately, you have you had the wrong programs uploaded, right? You had the wrong programs uploaded, right? And so, but we have the technology to to change that, right? So, everyone, take a piece of paper, write down, and if you're watching this via video later. Write down a, a couple of those beliefs that you have. They could be sales specific, you know, or just general. It could be more general. But a lot of these, even the sales specific ones, you know, they kind of, they all link together, right? Like you don't have the right personality. It's greedy or selfish of you to want to be successful. You know, um, you're not good enough, things like that. So as you write those down, which ones which ones resonate the strongest with you, right? And then what I'd like you to do is, and no one's going to see this, right? Where, where do you feel this came from? You know, who installed it in you? You know, a dad, a mom, uncle, older brother, 
teacher, you know, priest. All of these people are very impactful when you're growing up, right? And, um, you know, um, and then as you think about that, honestly, that's the hard part, ask yourself, are you still afraid you're going to let them down? You know, if you break free of this, are you afraid they'll disenfranchise you? Right? Even if they're no longer here, doesn't matter. Because again, as we all know, especially those of us trained in it, is you still have that little boy or little girl in your head. You know. You know, and just think about how long you've carried this. Right? So let's let's do a technique to work on this. Because this isn't just an informational thing, it's a it's a transformation. Right? So everyone, take a deep breath. Close your eyes. And again, if you're watching this on replay, of course, don't do this if you need your conscious awareness, right? So just close your eyes. And what I'd like you to do is think about those limiting beliefs that you have that resonate the strongest with you. You don't have the right personality. You're afraid of rejection. You're not smart enough. You're not good enough. Maybe it's all of them, but pick, pick the ones that resonate. And then find that feeling in your body. Might be in your heart, could be in your solar plexus, could be in your gut, could be in your head, could be anywhere. And just find it. And let it take a shape, a color, a sound, a feeling. Shape, a color, a sound, a feeling. And it's more of a felt sense than anything. And what I'd like you to do is look at this felt sense and these fears. And know that they were installed they went in and maybe the people that install them in their limited view of the world was doing it to protect you because maybe it was installed in them. And what I'd like you to do is realize that you follow that felt sense back through your body, through your whoever installed it, parent, authority figure. And you see that it was installed in them. Maybe by grandparents and other people. And it was installed in them. And it's been generational. But what I'd like you to do is look at these beliefs and feelings. And know that 
look at them through new eyes. And what I mean by that is realize that when you're looking at it through who you are today in 2023, is a much different world than if it was your parents or teachers when you were a kid. And of course, it was installed in them from people living in a totally different world. And maybe at one moment in time, it was more important to, to follow what those beliefs were trying to keep you from doing. Because that's the way they lived. But what I'd like you to do is, again, see it in a new light. And imagine letting go of judgment of it. And what I'd like you to do is thank it because it's made you who you are today. And as we again think about the future self you want to become, the future self you're moving toward, you wouldn't even be where you are today if it wasn't for those limiting beliefs. But maybe it's time to let them go. With a blessing, if you will. Because they got you to where you are now. And you can begin to go back and think about some times in your past. Where whoever that authority figure is. parent, teacher, authority figure, religious figure, and realize maybe, just maybe, when they were, if they installed you're not good enough, what they really just wanted you to do was to do better, to, tr to try your absolute best. And that was the only words they could use. And maybe if you were told that it was too selfish to ask for more, to get more, it was greedy. You can look at them through the eyes of love and forgiveness. Because maybe they were rationalizing and justifying where they were. Or that they were hurt when they went for more and didn't get it. And then what I'd like you to do is also see that if that if you were have an overwhelming fear of rejection, You can trace that to wherever it is. And just replace it with one tweak. One tweak. Which is, 
if you if you never ask, the answer is always no. If you never ask, the answer is always no. So imagine your dad or your mom or that teacher or that priest, even your adolescent people around you. What if they were telling you, you know, if you never ask, the answer is always no. Might as well ask. I might as well do it. The worst that can happen is they say no. And so what if that younger you from a three or four or five or six-year-old or the 12, 13, or 14-year-old had a different attitude about being rejected? And then it all that younger you also got different attitudes about being good enough. And part of that is it's okay to not know what you don't know. And you can ask, I don't know. And not knowing is not being good, is not saying you're not good enough. I don't think you'd want to jump into the cockpit of an F-18. And it's not that you're not good enough. It's just you didn't have the training. And you begin to let this ripple through your brain. And know that you always, you're already using that pathway thinking. You have the strong enough why. You're going to begin to find the how. And lastly, spend a few moments with that younger you. And let that younger you know that you're going to grow and morph and change in ways that will surprise and delight you. And as you do that now, you'll have even more fun. So take a nice deep breath. Come on back. Good. Good. Cool. Good. All right. Let's take about a eight minute, nine minute break, fluid change, and we'll come back. All right, welcome back. First thing I wanna do, I want you to do one more thing, which is, you know, there's a doctor, his name's Robert Keegan. Uh, he was at Harvard, uh, I don't know what he's doing. He's a psychologist and he has this three-step model that he uses about social, about development. That we, that, that's kind of cool. And he says like the first level that you get in when you is the social link. That's what we're talking about. Your, your little kid. It's all about being accepted, right? Trying to, you know, in your family, when you go to school, you know, uh, and it doesn't stop. Like most, most of us that do that kind of stuff, we point to like, you know, pre-verbal three or three or four year old to like six or seven, but it, it, it never, 
this part really never stops. There's always looking a little bit of socially. And it's really impactful in adolescence, right? Because again, that's your, especially in the Western world, right? That, that basically is those of us that raised kids and been around kids know it replaces the family in many cases. They care more about what their peers think than what their parents might think or anybody else, right? And, and we can carry some of that with us, as was said, when we worry what these colleagues might think, right? Or people in our field, right? So that's the first level. And then he talks about the second level is he calls it the authoring self level, you know, um, where you do start to grow, you develop, you develop goals and ambitions and, and, and outside of especially your primary link, your family and that. So you, not everybody gets there. Many people stay in that little social link forever. We've seen that, right? They're, you know, just flip on Facebook and look at some of the stuff or, or you know, goddamn reality TV. Um, and so, yeah, so, but a lot of people will jump in, get to the next level, you know, uh, where they have their own goals and views and outlooks, right? But, it also becomes the level where you start self-selecting things to 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 um, reinforce what you already believe, right? So if you can't think you you can't do something, right? You're gonna maybe you'll attempt it and it's difficult on the first pass because it's new. You don't know what you don't know, and so then that reinforces I'm not good enough, right? So but you're still you're still above a lot of people, if you want to say that, you know, where you're, you do have your own goals and outlooks, right? But you get stuck in that cycle. You can get stuck there. And most adults stay in this, right? Even in our, our field's no exception to it, right? Um, we get stuck there. You know, we end up looking for self-reinforcing beliefs. You know, we nitpick, we do this and that. Uh, and you're, you're, you're not really growing. Maybe when you first start doing it, you, you experienced a growth spurt, right? And a lot of people in our field, coaching, NLP, hypnosis, entrepreneurship, you had a little bit when you jumped in, especially if you come from a world where no one in your family ever worked for themselves, right? So, you know, you weren't, you were doing something different, right? But again, it's easy to get stuck there. And the high, it's not a hierarchy thing, it's just different levels, is you get into the transforming self, right? Where you know that where you are is, is not the final destination, right? You know that it's going to keep going, right? And it's a painful place to be because then you have to look at like, you know, um, as they would say in the recovery world, you have to do a searching and fearless inventory of yourself. What are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? You know, and again, you know, even if you did that, doesn't mean you will you will tweak that stuff, right? But if you do, then you begin to grow and change and morph, right? Realizing that again, as I said, where who you, you know, if you if you have a, a an image of yourself that you want to be. People at this level will start to move toward it, knowing it's going to change and morph. But if you're stuck in the level before it, you start to move toward it, but it scares you, right? Because you're going to have to leave behind the old social links. You know, wh what will I end up? You know, 
what will I end up? You know, is it a, is it an insult for someone to look you in the eye and say, you've totally changed? You know, it could be an insult. It's just, could be a statement of fact. It could be, you know, may not be positive, right? I, I come from the addiction world. You always see the people with like, I always think of the movie star shows them like, you know, when they're, then it shows, you know, right before they go into rehab, sunken eyes, teeth rotted, <laughs> stuff like, you've changed, you know? Um, but what about the other way, you know? Can, and again, maybe people around you, especially this happens when you want to become a good persuader, uh, is they don't want you to change, right? It's threatening to them. When you change, it's threatening to them. You know, we used to, you know, when I teach weight loss to people, that's one of the things I used to stress because my mentor would, would stress to his clients, like, you know, some of the people that are your friends today, especially if you're, you've been overweight for a long time, um, they may not be your friend as much as you think they will be when you lose weight, you know? And when he said that, you know, we were in this training class and I'm like, oh, you know, I was, I was along for the ride. A couple of people were pushing back. But again, coming from the addiction world, you know, if anybody's familiar with the addiction world, <clears throat> you know, a lot of the people you, to use alcohol and drugs, a lot of people you drank and got high with aren't going to be real supportive of you getting clean and sober. Right. And of course, every person sobering up thinks I'm going to go sober up all my friends. You know, they'll want to join this whatever rehab, AA, whatever they're doing. Uh, not really, right? They're gonna they're gonna pull you back down, right? And you know, and like I would, that made sense to me, even you know, for the and I saw it. I don't know how many times in in my clinic, you know, someone would be dropping a lot of weight, and then they'd be they'd come in for a follow up session, and they'd say, "Yeah, is it work?" And this this lady who never I just remember this one never brought in anything. You know what? They always bring in, you know, it was an office. It was a government office. So they'd always bring in cookies, cake, you know, that kind of thing. It's like you see it a lot in government offices. You see it a lot in a lot of offices, but especially government and hospitals. And this lady who never brought in anything, she comes in with whatever it was. She baked it because it was this lady's favorite. And she goes, I know you want to have this. And the lady goes, no, I'm not. I don't need that anymore. Oh, but I made it just for you. It was like right out of a Italian, Jewish, Southern. Every 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 culture claims it's them, but every culture does the same thing. It's like that means you don't. And they're like, and and I go, well, is this lady that did this a little heavy herself? She goes, yeah. Well, you're threatening. You dropped fifty pounds, you know. And so she's bringing him in. So again, as you change, you know. That social link session may have to change, right? And again, it depends depends what you want to do, right? And again, then if you're really honest and you pull back, you have to really uh, evaluate how strong are those social links anyway, whether especially at work or with colleagues, right? Uh, even your family. Sometimes it's like you know, once you're an adult and you're gone, are you, you know? And is it healthy to keep those social links? Right? 
again, when I ran rehabs, that was the first thing we'd say, you know, your, your job now is not to go sober up all your buddies from the bar, your friends, your girls from the wine club, right? You know, you have to focus on you. Um, so that honesty is the key, right? So as you move toward this goal, you, you, you have to look at that, right? We're, we see it, you know, in our field, right? We, we see it in our field. And sometimes it's interesting, right? And I'll pick on the personal coaches, hypnotists, and NLPers among us. And I see it a little bit with the entrepreneurs um, that I've worked with, that I'm starting to work with again. But on the, let's say, the coaching side, you know, I, it's the people that I see that, like, they encourage the idea that this is a calling, you know, and it could be, but it's like what the underlying thing is, you really can't make money at, you know, uh, I was just, I was at a conference last year and a person was saying that and I'm like, I didn't join the priesthood or anything, you know, it's like, you know, I'm not trying to convert people to Jesus, you know, and they go, well, you know, but it's more of that calling. I said, well, if it's a calling for me, I want to be the Pope. You know, I want to wear the gold hat and drive in the, in the limo, have a private plane. And they're just looking at me. So I go, maybe our, we're trained at this. Maybe our definition of calling is a little bit different, right? But, you know, we have this, it, it gets stuck in our head, right? And so, um, and then on the entrepreneur side, I was working with one guy and he was in a couple of like BNI, BNI if I think I'm saying that right. Uh, or chambers, and he goes, yeah, some of the people there, you know, if you run a small business, he goes, because he was trying to break, this was two years ago, uh, right before COVID, so it was a little longer, and and I was still working with some entrepreneurs that I, note to self, you need to get back in that market, but he goes, you know, he's breaking up a level, he ran an insurance company, and one of the other people that ran an insurance company was telling him, you're, you're losing it, man, you're, you know, you're hiring other salespeople to do all the work. And he's like, because I'm building a business. I want to work, what is it? On the business, not in the business, right? And it's like, and he had to, you know, he, he I don't know what he, I, he you know, and, uh, but again, I go, are these people, do you want to hang out with these people? Do you want, are these the people you want to hang out with? You know, um, you know, or whatever the next step is. And it that is the appeal to getting a different social link, you know? And those those people that have gone to the ones I can name because I'm, I'm familiar with them is like some of the upper level Tony Robbins stuff, the Date with Destiny, his business mastery stuff. Brandon Machard does, it's sort of the same thing. Was it Eckhart? I can never pronounce his name. Eckhart Toller. Uh, they do the same thing, but it's like people keep going because they're developing that a different social link. You know, especially in those groups where you get into the platinum partnerships or the inner circle. You know, it's like because that that becomes your social link. Does that make sense to everybody? Right. So again, and so now linking this back to what we do, if you want to become a better, let's say, salesperson or persuader, you know, um, again, uh, we're going to do a couple of things. But one is, um, 
these you're not talking. Um, is you know if you've taken and a lot of people you know have here taken you know like basic and master NLP, especially the way it's taught at NFNLP, right? NFNLP. Um, basic master NLP and then if you throw throw in like hypnotic writing that we did a couple of different times and hypnotic storytelling you know how to use waking hypno or and or waking conversational hypnosis if you have that skill set right and what I mean by have that skill set you didn't just take the class you actually understand it and can begin to use it because again a lot of people don't I love them they take my class but they never do it but if you do, right, then you have a skill set that very few people have, right? Even in the hypnosis, the NLP, the coaching world, right? So if you have that skill set, are you using it? In other words, is it part of who you are now? Is it part of who you are? And if not, why not? Right? And is it because, again, you're afraid you'll get somehow dissed by your colleagues? Right? Or your clients would figure out what you're doing? Excuse me? Or your prospects, if you're selling? You know, so... But if you can, and this is what we're going to work on now, if you can make this part of who you are, right, it becomes almost impossible not to use it. That's the difference, right? That would be the difference, you know. Um, the funnest experience I ever had is at a conference I was doing my, my shtick and, you know, what I do. You know, everybody take a deep breath, close your eyes. I did the pre-thing pre that I do, you know, about think of somebody you greatly respect and admire. Think about somebody you greatly respect and admire. Think of the best class you ever took. Think of the best class you ever took, right? Think about the most learning you ever had. Now think of those three things again. Think of that person you respect and admire. Now open your eyes. I always do it that way. Now open, open your eyes. Look up here. That's right. Look up here. Look right here. Now let's get going. I was doing stuff like that. And I do that all the time in the course, or when I'm teaching, and I'm bringing it back even stronger, and someone comes up, I don't believe you did that. I'm like, well, what specifically are you talking about? Well, you did, and I'm like, I think I had this shirt on, I'm like, I didn't think you were gonna, you know, do that, and I'm like, you're an idiot. I why wouldn't I? How would I not do it? You know. You know, but this was also one of the persons that would teach a class on how to be a dynamic presenter that would put their notes on the podium and never look up. So let's not go down that path, right? But so yeah, so if it just becomes who you are, right, then it becomes easier, right, to to 
to begin to implement, right? So my question, ladies and gentlemen, is where you are right now, you have the skill set, you know, and if not, you can go review it, the waking hypnosis, conversational hypnosis, hypnotic storytelling, hypnotic writing. If you have the skill set, um, find words that change minds. If you have that, where you are right now, when you're looking to this future vision of who you're going to become, it will change. It will not be necessarily who you think it's going to be. It may take you in a totally different direction, right? But if you're okay with that, right? So as you're moving toward it, right, what is it going to take for those skill sets to be a part of you? It's just who you are, right? And it can change. Have you ever had an experience where you've changed? That what you were convinced would be this way almost forever changed? Have you ever had that transformational experience? Right? I've had many. I'm sure you have. The, the, the two I can speak about the easiest, of course, is at one moment in my life, I never thought I could live without alcohol. It was... I just, how do you do that? How will you ever have fun again? How will you do this? How I just, it was in kind. And again, my whole social link was from that world. You know, the places I, you know, I could, I would always find the, the, the people that were abusing the substances. That's just the way to describe it, right? And it was like, it was natural. It's just part of who I was, right? And so the idea that I could change was incomprehensible to me, right? But I hit that power point or that point, leverage point where something happened in my head. Has this ever happened? Where I couldn't imagine because of who I was, it was hard for me to imagine not doing it, right? Because that was my skill set. And I knew if I changed, I'd, I wouldn't have... All the friends would be gone. A lot of my family would shift, at least at the beginning, right? Because that's just the way it was, right? Or I thought it would, but it definitely the friends and how I was going to spend my time, you know, and, uh, and all the stuff that I would imagine, right? I couldn't. So I couldn't imagine not doing it. But at the same time, I was in enough pain, I couldn't imagine doing it much more. Because it had cost me a couple of careers, uh, relationships, God knows how much money, you know, bordering on putting me not just, you know, I mean, I'd been, I spent some weekends in jail. Let's just say that way, not a lot of time. But it's like, but I'd seen people that I knew that I drank with over here that, you know, they were gone six months to a year in a crack, right? And it's like, so I was in enough pain. And have you ever hit that pain point? Where you're like, basically, the old joke is you're damned if you do, if you're damned if you don't. But you do have a decision. You could stay here. I see people do it all the time. You know, drink themselves. Last year, we, three people I know in this area, uh, drank themselves to death. They were in and out of AA and treatment and all that. God love them. Nice guys. One guy, very bright. One guy, very successful. Uh, one lady, and she had kids, right? Little kids. Didn't doesn't stop and you know but I was in pain have you ever hit that 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 leverage point right 
if you really hit it and the why is strong enough, right? Right. And it could be a simple thing. It could be a little thing. It doesn't have to be this massive come to Jesus moment with burning fire and burns. It could be a little thing. Mine was I was standing at a bar at seven o'clock in the morning with all the other social drinkers, right? Seven, seven thirty in the morning. And most of them were coming off the midnight shift at the steel mills and the auto refineries. And I was supposed to be going to work, but I decided to call off. So I'm standing there, you know, and I remember standing there looking at the guys in the bar who were probably in their 40s. And, and were they alcoholics? I'm, I'm not going to judge, but, it, but a lot of them, they were just on their way home from doing a eight or 12 hour shift in a steel mill, an auto plant or a refinery. So they were just, you know, it was there four o'clock in the afternoon. So they're drinking. And I remember looking down the bar going, Jesus. What a bunch of losers. You know, they're in here at eight o'clock in the morning. Then I turn and I saw myself in the mirror behind the bar with the bottles and the bottles. It's like, now I think back, it's like, and I realized unless I really changed and I'd been to, hadn't been to rehab yet, but I'd been to a couple of AA meetings. So I knew there was a way out, you know? So at that moment, I knew if I stayed over here, that, was my future. You know, I had a job in the steel mill. They were unionized. It, you know, it was pretty hard to get fired. Right. So it was like, you know, it's, I could, that would have been me. Right. But my why was strong enough. Right. And so the why led me to the how. And of course, maybe you've had that experience. I don't know. But I ask you that because it could be a big thing like that. It could be a little thing. Right? Maybe it's a small shift through time, you know? And then once you get to the other side, it's hard for you, like me now, imagine uh, I was at a conference and somehow a bunch of us were talking um, and they were asking about basically, don't I ever think about drinking? And I go, not unless we're talking about it. I, it's, you know, it's not part of my life. And you, we were at a conference in Vegas. I won't name which one, but it was a lot, was a lot of stuff going on. I'm like, no, it's just... but anyway, but I can't imagine that now, right? That was a major shift. Then I've had little shifts. What's a little shift you've had? One is when I first, I didn't start drinking coffee until I quit drinking alcohol. So when I first started drinking coffee, it was heavy sugar, heavy cream, right? And then through time, and I don't know what shifted it. It's like I began to shift down. You know, now I drink black coffee, right? And so where I'm at now, it's like, I can't imagine going back over there. So I asked you, because you're tracking what I'm doing, what's it going to take for you to, to release your skill set? You know, release the Kraken. You know, what are you, what's it going to take for you to let that, your ability, which you have, to use the hypnotic techniques and the NLP and the language patterns and the stuff that we do see all the top performers in our field use, Tony Robbins, Brendan Burchard, Eckhart Tolle, am I saying the name right? I think I am. Uh, if not him, his people, because they're big enough to have people. Uh, you know, Joe Vitale, go down the list, right? Uh, they're very good at this and they use it, right? So what's it gonna take for you to get to that leverage point where, huh, you know, 
I'm, I don't want to be over here anymore. I want to be over there, right? So, and that over there, it will become part of who you are, you know? So what's it going to take now for you to begin to do that, right? And again, I applaud you because you've invested your time, your money, you've taken a lot of, taken a lot of classes and with different people, and I encourage that because a lot of us teach the same thing in slightly different ways, right? And you seem to have a, you know, you've got a lot of hows, you know, how to do this, you know, and maybe, maybe you've hit that point where your why is strong enough that you'll pick and begin to make the change. So as you move toward that future you, as you're moving toward it, of realizing it's going to change and morph through time, you know, what are, what can you set in your future that will be some of the markers that you're getting there? Right? And I always suggest something simple. Don't, you know, the, the, the problem I think people, I know I make is, you know, I make it too complicated. You know, someone says I get stuck in my head and I forget it's the simple stuff that work, that works, right? And don't compare, if you, if you haven't made this part of who you are, don't compare yourself to someone that that's just the way they do it, right? Who's been doing it for years, you know? Um, you have to figure out, you know, just accept your starting point. Unfortunately, what is it uh, I stole from that personal trainer? Don't confuse your starting point with their level of expertise, right? And yet we do. I think we're all guilty of it, right? Um, I was, I was in this, this show, the, the play I'm ending that closes tomorrow. Thank goodness. It's, it's been a blast, but I'm ready to, you know, ready to do something different. But one of the people go, you know, um, when we first opened, right, at, at, at the preview and then the first couple of plays, it's usually a little rough, right? You know, people know that you know, there's a reason why on Broadway, they do like usually a minimum of 24, usually like 36 or 40 preview performances before they open, right? Because they're working out this stuff. We're on like performance 23 today. And so anyway, when we first start, you know, there's glitches, people are dropping lines, things are, it's, it's live theater, I love it, right? And, and one of the people there who hasn't done that much theater that I know of, uh, and the, well, I think they did some in high school and they're in their 20s. They're like, well, none of this bothers you, right? You, you seem pretty, you know, you, you're whatever I was, it was a compliment, right? See, I'm still, I still have trouble making compliments. And like I said, I want to do that. And I said, well, the difference is I've done over 100 plays, right? Regional, professional, local. And a lot of this is just, I just, it's practice, right? And I remember stressing to her, don't judge where you are by, there's a few of us in the show that's been doing it a lot, right? You know, you're going to grow, you're going to change. Again, use our thing of, if that's what you want to become, you're going to have to take certain steps to get there, right? And 
It's like when I wanted to become a learn film acting, right? Which is a little bit deeper, a lot different than stage acting. You know, I started taking these classes on it. Of course, I was beating myself up because like, damn it, I've been doing acting for like 30 years or almost at the time. And it's like, I should be able to do that, right? And I did stumble across a very good teacher who said, well, you're a good actor. It's just, you're not real good on camera yet. And I wanted to say, who the hell trained you? Right? Because it was a great reframe. And I'm like, she goes, you know, the skills, the you know, it's like if I'm teaching you how to do a technique in, a, in front of a group, the technique is the same. It's where you're doing it. But anyway, so don't judge. Keep it simple. Okay? Because if you use 50% of the skill set that we teach, you're, a, you're way ahead of everybody else. Right? Because most people don't, including people in our field. There's a few that really do, and I my hat's off to them. But a lot of them, it's like they don't. Right. So what is your, you know, what is what is it gonna take for you to make it part of who you are? So you just couldn't, so when you get there, you'll look back at, at you going, how did I not do that? How did I not do that? And you realize, well, it was, you know, I had some, some things I had to clean up in my own psyche, right? I had to clean up some stuff in my own psyche. Does it make sense to everybody? So my question, next question is, oh, let me write it down, is... What's the first step, right? What's the first step, right? What specifically is the first step to, to start you on that path, right? I know when, when I was teaching the hypnotic writing earlier in the year, it was the multi-day one, right? It was part of the part of the thing I told everybody is start making posts. Because the, the great thing about social media is you could put it up there and then the next day just take it down. No harm, no foul. You, you know, you didn't you didn't write an ad and put it in the newspaper that could be tracked through time, right? You could take it, take you could take it off Facebook or Instagram or TikTok, whatever. You could take it down. Um and it was a way to practice, right? A lot of the people did. They started practicing, right? But again, how many times do you go to a conference or a seminar or a workshop or a class and you learn some new skills and you're like, this shit's awesome. This shit's awesome. Whatever it is, right? Whatever it is, this shit's awesome. And then you go, I'm going to use this. Then you get back and you use it a little bit and you put it aside and you forget Right. Um, so how do you make it part of your repertoire? Right. And for this, I would argue with every almost everybody in my field, there is no hack. You have to consistently do it. You know, it has to just become, you know, if you want to start, 
you you could do all the mind hacks in the world about starting to exercise and work and, and get in shape. But eventually you got to go to the gym. Right. And make that part of your routine or and actually or if that's it or do the exercises, not just do the mind hacks. Right. You know, but a lot of times the only judgment I'll make on our field is sometimes we're so busy selling them the miracle. You know, they they forget that it has to be implemented. Right. So you just got to practice it. Right. Um, that's why I say those of us, anybody's taking a hypnosis class. Unless you've really worked on it, this is my test. Unless you've really worked on it. Whatever induction you learned first that you had success with, like a relaxation or a flowers technique or whatever, that is your default induction to this day. Right? Did you, could you change it? Yeah, if you did it. My default, I, I learned hypnosis. Well, it, I read a book, but that doesn't count. That was back in high school. When I took training, it was, well, I was coming from NLP, so they were doing Ericssonian with the long stories. You get on a highway and you're driving down a road. And I remember one teacher saying it takes about 20 minutes to get somebody in trance because you got to, you know, all the, it, that was part one. Then I took a traditional hypnosis class with the National Guild of Hypnotists, 19, it was in the mid-80s. It was a two-day training, ladies and gentlemen, two days, 16 hours, right? And, and probably four of that hours was wasted, but you basically learned um, a progressive relaxation. That was it, right? That's what you practiced. And so that was my, I was doing that a lot. Take a deep breath, close your eyes, open, you know, take it. Take a deep breath, close your eyes, and then just do the relaxation. Relax your toes. Blah, 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 right? Or I would go tell an Ericksonian thing. And I I wanted to change. Right? And I kind of had a why. It's like, I was bored to tell you the truth, part of it. But it's like, right? And it's like, hmm. And I was, I was at a conference. And, and it was funny. The guy that impacted me, I really didn't like, and he's gone now. And he's, I didn't shed a tear when he transitioned. I'll just put it that way. Right. Uh, but it was like, I was at the thing and I watched him do um, a rapid induction. Then I watched him do like a modif uh, basically a Dave Elman induction. Right. And I'm like, Shit, I want to do that, right? And so I asked the guy, Gil Boyne, if you want to know the name, I said, Gil. And he goes, and he was, he was, if anybody here knew him, I don't think anybody did, maybe Deborah. But he goes, well, his big complaint with a lot of the hypnosis trainings was they didn't teach the Dave Elman first, right? Or a rapid first, then teach a relaxation and and all this. And he goes, you're an NLP guy. You do all that Ericksonian stuff. I go, yeah, well, you know, whatever. And he goes, well, my suggestion, I remember him saying that was my, his suggestion to me is that's the only induction you can do for the next six months. You know? So I had the old mimeograph, you know, take a deep breath, close your eyes, open your eyes, close your eyes, count back your mouth, da, 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 da. I, I, and I had my clinic and I was busy. I did that thing over and over and over again, you know? 
I'm not exaggerating, probably several hundred times, right? Until it became part of, that's my default induction, right? Would be the, and I reverse the order. It would be a Dave Elman, a Rapid, an Ericksonian, and my last option would be a progressive relaxation, right? Now I can tell you this, I like them, especially at a conference when I'm tired, somebody up there is doing it. I love that, you know, it's a nice, nice pause, but so what are you gonna do to make it yours? You know, and I didn't post it in there, but I'll, I'll, I'll put it, I'll, I'll get it, everybody, you already have a copy, but like um, the 50 language pattern thing that I use when I teach, you know, you know, uh, maybe it's just pick a language pattern and use it every day right? until it becomes natural. Maybe using the words more naturally, easily, effortlessly, oh, aware, notice, realize, you know, as, as Mr. Re as <clears throat> Mr. McGuire said, the more, the more pattern. Because, you know, Reed, the more you try to fight this, the more you just want to do it, right? Because the skill set grows and you'll naturally and easily begin to expand your consciousness and move toward the pleasure. Blah, 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 whatever it is, right? So what in the in in since this won't be saved and we're still recording in the chat type a commitment of what you're going to do to begin to make this so you'll have more confidence because if you use the language patterns and the the skill set that we have sales is easy Right. And so to back up, because it's the same, it, it's the same block that's stopping you from doing this on a regular, consistent basis is probably stopping you from the regular, consistent basis of of sales. Oh, yeah, the other one I'm going to do. There you go. Mine is language patterns and anchorings, anchoring solutions to me. And again, once you make them just who you are, you can't really get caught using them because it's just, you'll be consistent. The only people that'll notice it, again, were the people from your past that never saw you do it. You know, on a consistent basis, you know. But then, honestly, as, as I think it's that Dr. Keegan points out, when you really change, a lot of people don't pay that much attention to you anyway. We think they do, but you ever had that experience? I quit smoking cigars and I'd been not smoking for several years. 
And my nephew, God love him, come, comes home. He was in the Marines. And he was so proud because he bought me two really fancy cigars. That he got cute, real Cuban cigars. And I was like, I started to say, I don't smoke. And then I realized, why would he notice that? Right? Because for years, every, you know, every time he saw me at any event, I would always be standing there with my big cigar. None of you people remember that. That was in the late 80s and early 90s. I remember going to the hypnosis conference and sitting around with, with uh, Bob Otto and a few other people. We'd be sitting around smoking cigars, <laughs> you know. But yeah, you know. And in fact, even in the hypnosis world, it was probably five or six years before a couple of the hypnotists really realized I wasn't going to sit there and smoke cigars with them anymore. They would be having their drinks, but I'd be having my cup of coffee and smoking a cigar. I'm like, I don't do that shit anymore. It's like, now it was, it was disgusting to me anymore. You know? So, so what, so what, what are you going to do? I'm going to pause the recording. All right. So what, what you need to do is to develop that unstoppable sales confidence. It's basically persuasion confidence. Start flipping it in your head right away. That it's persuasion, right? Whether it's a sale to get them to buy a product or a service or whatever, or it's an idea, right? Are you selling an idea? If you teach, you know, if you're a parent or an authority figure, you're selling ideas, right? And there is no such, you can begin to look at counterexamples um, to all those beliefs that we said at the beginning, like, oh, I don't have the right, I don't have a natural sales personality, right? All, all you have to do is look at the three, uh, and I'll just use English speakers. I think there's a Spanish guy and an Indian guy that I'm not sure their name, but the richest people on the planet, right? Elon Musk, Bezos, and Zuckerberg. I wouldn't call them naturally gargarious, outgoing, salesy people. Unless, unless Elon Musk is smoking a joint on Joe Rogan, other than, on the, on the, other than that. <laughs> but they're good. And people say, if you're in the room with them, they can sell you their idea. You know, when he sold <clears throat> the idea of PayPal, what else did he do? Well, of course, now SpaceX, Tesla, all this, you know, they said that's when he's just selling the idea. And he's just, same with Bezos, if you ever heard him talk. I wouldn't call him a dynamic or even um, Bill Gates, right? Right? And yet, they've built a lot of, and they've sold their idea to people. And when people buy your idea, then they'll develop it. And the other one who's no, no longer with us would be uh, Steve Jobs. When you see some of this stuff, it's like, ah, that guy was, he was an interesting guy, <laughs> right? But he could sell you on his idea. Does that make sense to everybody? Okay. So what are you going to do, you know, to make it part of who you are? So this is just who you are. So naturally, as you look to the future, you'll naturally want to begin to change and morph. Maybe get, begin to get a slightly different, you know, social network, social link of people who support and nurture you 
as you go toward that goal, realizing that naturally you'll leave behind the people that want to stay in the past, you know? And in fact, if we want to go to a higher level, we can look at that's one of the things happen uh, worldwide. There's people that want to go to the future and there's other people that want to stay in the past. So the choice is always up to you, whether which way you want to go. But realizing who you are today, you couldn't have imagined this person 10 years ago, right? Whatever it is. And think of some of the little things. If you'd have told me 10 years ago, I'd be the one playing with the bird all the time and doing stuff with the horses. And, you know, I always played with the dog, but it's like, now it's like, it's just part of who I am, right? Uh, so what is it? What's, what's some of those things that if you've already made those changes, which you naturally know how to do, what if you take those with you into the future, realizing again, giving yourself the permission to let go of those limiting beliefs installed by well-meaning, maybe parents, authority figures, you know, whatever it was. And maybe it was okay for them then, but this ain't the 1950s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. You know, I mean, just look at how much has changed in the last four years. It's a different world, right? And so use the skill set that you have and have some fun with it. So make that commitment. And as you go to the future, I'm sure you'll be able to do the things you want. If you have any questions, people watching, if you have any questions, just direct message me, shoot me an email. I'll be happy to help you. But if you could review like hypnotic writing, hypnotic storytelling, um, the soon to be released um, in a, spiritual based NLP sales, uh, you know, build your business without losing your soul, all these other things that you can do to help develop. And I'll see you as we explore the road to happy destiny.